This is Family Law Matters, a podcast series that introduces you to mental health and legal professionals in the area of family law. We'll be talking to experts who guide moms, dads, and children along transitions of separation and divorce. My name is Janine Crofton, the principal at Resolveology, Inc. I'm a family law mediator in Alberta and a psychologist in Alberta and Ontario. My hope is to provide information and a bit of optimism to listeners who are in the midst of restructuring their families. Before we begin, just a quick reminder that information heard on this podcast is not to be construed as psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a professional concerning your specific circumstances. In our fifth and final episode of Family Law Matters, we are pleased to have Provincial Court Judge Gay Benz share her ideas with our listeners about the families she sees in court and how she is tasked to help families. See a bio for Gay Benz on my website at resolveology.com. So welcome Judge Benz, thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about your interest in law and in particular family law? Well, first of all, Janine, thanks for having me. This is this is uh, an exciting opportunity for me, so I am glad to be with you and um, and talk about family law for sure. Um, so I went to law school in Manitoba, and um, I was older when I went to law school, and it just seemed to me um, that the family law cases we all had to do family law in in law school. It was a required program or course in Manitoba. I don't know if every law school is like that or not, but they were always the most interesting cases, right? I mean, they would they would tell stories of actual people and you know, you know, problems that I can imagine rather than securities law or or other more mundane topics. So I was I always loved to read the cases for family law the very best. So that was that's where it got started for sure. And then you finished uh, law school and you had to make some choices. Did you go into family law right away? Yes. So uh, my articles were with uh, Legal Aid in uh, Manitoba, uh, which worked out for me for a variety of reasons. So it was a, it was just a really great experience. So I had lots of court experience with with uh, legal aid and lots of opportunities to have my own clients with legal aid as an articling student, which was um, really amazing. Yeah, so then I practiced in, in Manitoba for a couple of years, and then I had a great opportunity to join a dedicated family law firm in Calgary. So I leapt at that opportunity and have been here ever since. And so you've been appointed to the provincial court in Alberta. What year were you appointed? Yes, so that was an exciting time. I, I was appointed two years ago in uh, 2019. Uh, I was as shocked as anyone that they would have me, but here I am. Um, and it was it was really great. I'm in the Family and Youth Division of our provincial court, and it is such a dedicated group of people who really want to make things better for families in Alberta, and that we have dedicated judges for family law. And, and we also do our child protection work and the youth criminal matters in Alberta. Uh, surprisingly, the, the crossover of people uh, from family law, child protection, and youth criminal are surprising to me, but uh, that's why that I think why that combination works out so well. Right. So when you think about being a judge, I think we all have watched movies and we have our own ideas of 
that have been formed probably by popular media about what judges do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hoping that you could share uh, what the role of a, a judge is and what are the limitations of your role? Well, so the provincial court in Alberta is our lowest level of court. We have uh, three, well, four, if you include the Supreme Court of Canada, we have four levels of court in Alberta. Uh, but our court is really the the lowest level. So we are statute driven. We don't get to make up new law. We just follow other cases, uh, precedents that have happened before us, and this the uh, legislation that um, that you know is the the foundation of any application before us. So um, the Court of Queen's Bench in Alberta has a little bit different, a broader jurisdiction, and of course the Court of Appeal and Supreme Court have different jurisdictions as well. But so we're the first stop for for most families. But uh, families of divorce. Um, fall under different legislation and they would be uh, in the court of Queen's Bend. So that said, that's the that's the sort of legal framework, but I refer to our court as the problem solving court. We're the people's court. We are um, like the emergency room. You know, you don't know what's coming in at any given time and we're just trying to problem solve with people. And we have such a high number of self-represented people, this is very often their first contact with the legal system. Um, So we want to make sure that we're setting them up properly, getting them to the right resources and getting them, you know, down the right track towards resolution if there's a dispute in their family law matter. So I think that's important because so many people, when I've spoken to them, say, well, you know, if we get separated, that means we have to have a lawyer for going to court. And so the fact that uh, the number of people coming to court who are self-representing, that must uh, present some unique challenges and opportunities for you. Yeah, well, challenges for sure. (laughs) Because so many people can't afford lawyers. Right. And so in some ways, we don't want court to be prohibitive. We don't want them to not be able to be in court. No, no. But I always worry. I think there's some um, misconception among people that on separation, they have to go to court, right? There has to be a big fight. They have no experience in this area. So all they see is, is you know, uh, what they see on television or hear horror stories from their friends or neighbors. Mm-hmm. And they think it has to be a big fight. And that the first stop has to be a courtroom where anybody in the system will say, no, no, that that has to be the last stop, right? That's that's the last place you want to be talking about your family. And you need to do some research and investigation about what options are available to you. Um, and I don't know that we get that information out to people very well. And I don't know how to do it. Uh, I think, you know, Lots of people are trying to make it clear that people can work on things on their own and make resources available to people so that they can have some help working on things on their own um, to make sure that they've attempted every possible um, solution before coming to court. Because court is an adversarial process. It was a process that was set up, you know, to talk about uh, kegs of ale and pieces of land, really. It was never set up to talk about families. And it's just evolved over time that that's what we use. But it's it's not 
it was never intended for families. Right. And so as a psychologist and a family mediator, I think I'm on the same page as you in terms, and we've mm -hmm. done some work in the past together, where mm -hmm. it's really important at the very first stages of contact to try and help people understand what the, the many options are. And so um, one of those options is mediation, of course, and you have a particular interest in mediation. Tell us about mm -hmm. your view about how it can be useful for folks. Well, it's so interesting to me that um, mediation has such a, an incredible success rate, right? It is an opportunity for people to learn how to communicate. Um, because I think if you're co-parenting after separation, uh, you have to communicate better than you ever did before. So mediation is an opportunity to learn some some really good communication skills first of all um it's cooperative it it's 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 a family working on their issues with a neutral uh facilitator right facilitating mm -hmm. that conversation keeping them on track um helping them distinguish between emotional issues and legal issues uh and trying to problem solve with them in a way that would come up with a unique solution for that family if you're coming to court, I'm going to impose something on you that I hope works okay, that I hope uh, will be satisfactory and in the best interest of your children, but I'll never meet your children. I, I don't know if uh, somebody is, uh, you know, I don't know, hates to sleep in the dark and somebody uh, hates to sleep and, uh, you know, with socks on. I don't know what, what the deal is with your kids, but only <laughs> the parents know these things and a judge will never know those things. Um, so it's always better if the parents can find a solution that works for the kids rather than something that I'm going to oppose that may or may not work, but is worked for lots of families in my experience. So that's what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think what we find is that, you know, when someone comes to a private mediator or government services where they provide mediation services is that often they can narrow the sort of the issues that might need to come before a judge. So if they can do you know, 80%, if they can get an 80% agreement before they even come to court, then that makes the work that you're doing with them, I think, just much narrower than what you would have otherwise had to do. Oh, absolutely. You think of the, you know, the families walking into the courtroom with this wagon load of problems, right? And if we can unload some of those before they get to court. And then, I mean, sometimes there are tricky issues that do need some assistance, right? Maybe there's mental health issues, or maybe there is a real legal issue, which is rare, frankly, but sometimes they are there. Um, those do need the assistance of a judge, and those should be before a judge. But whether, uh, you know, pick up and drop off time is two o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon, whether Christmas should be split, uh, you know, at noon on Christmas Day, or whether it should be Boxing Day, you know, the minutiae, parents should be able to do on their own without putting it before a judge. Right. Yeah. Because as you said, the answers that they're going to get from you may or may not actually meet both of their needs. And in mediation, what we try and do is take all of their needs and see which of the solutions that we can possibly come up with would actually suit both of them. What I've seen so much of the time is that um, understanding what the needs are underneath the wants is the tricky part. And so that's why sitting in an office with somebody where it's there's not near as much pressure, where there's, 
you know, lots of support in, in that environment to try and help them work through something is a little bit different than when they're coming before a judge. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, used, I used to teach the Parenting After Separation program that I know that you're familiar with, Janine, but, and one of the stories I used to tell people is that all, all, all disputes among parents, you know, we can't blame them on the other parent always. So, you know, there may be other reasonable explanations, but we're so quick to point the finger at the other parent that all of a sudden it's it's World War Three. So the example that I used to give to people was there was a family where the child was splitting uh, his time between parents. One lived out just outside of Calgary and the other one lived in Calgary. And suddenly the pre-adolescent child decided that they didn't want to go to the parent that lived just outside of Calgary. Uh, he didn't want to go back and forth anymore. And the the, mo- the it was the mom, I think, in Calgary said, just took great advantage of this thing. Oh, well, he doesn't want to see his dad. He's, you know, dad's been a jerk. He doesn't want anything to do with his dad. And I'm going to go to court to vary this order so that he never has to see his dad again. And then dad is say, oh, well, she's turned him against me. That's why he doesn't want to come to my house. And, she, you know, she's this hateful woman. And she's always, this has always been her agenda. So we appointed a lawyer for the child. We find out that the reason the child doesn't want to go to dad's house is because he's got wonky Wi-Fi, right? This is at the beginning <laughs> of the internet. And, um, you know, it was very important to him. <laughs> to maintain a social life, uh, to have access, good access to the Wi-Fi. And I think he was probably a gamer too. I don't know, but it had nothing to do really with either parent at all. Uh, really had, uh, the most important thing to that child at that point was, was Wi-Fi, uh, for whatever reason. And both parents had used that as an opportunity to attack the other and, you know, really we just needed to figure out how to get better Wi-Fi at dad's house, then it would have been fine. But that was thousands of dollars later. Yeah. Right? Of these nasty affidavits. And and, and I know. think it's hard for people once they do start to feel resentment and feel some adversarial sort of quality in the relationship, it's hard for them to go back and really look at the, those most simple sort of questions that they might be able to ask. And that's where a neutral third party is. Perhaps a mediator comes in and says, well, you know, what What do you know and what's this about? And so sometimes that intervention in itself is really useful. Yeah. Exactly. And early, rather, uh, before the affidavits are yeah. filed, not after, right? But before we stand up in a witness stand and say what a terrible person the other parent mm-hmm. is. So for those parties who do need to come before the court, I'm really interested to know uh, what information is useful to you because I think people don't necessarily know how to prepare if they don't have a lawyer. And sometimes they think more information is better. And so from your perspective, what could you share with our listeners about what information is important? Yeah, I used to think that people used to want to tell us too much. And 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 my experience now as a judge is that they don't tell us enough. They have all this history and context and, um, you know, so they come in with this shorthand and we don't know any of the background. I mean, when a file comes to us, I know almost nothing about it, particularly in provincial court where our filings are so basic and bare bones. 
I, I know almost nothing about people. And then, uh, you know, they'll be on the witness stand and and I'm they're halfway through the story and I, I don't know whether they live together. I don't know if they have, you know, one kid or 21 kids. I, I don't know anything about them. And uh, particularly with self-reps where they're examining each other, um, it's it's crazy. So it's important that we have some history and some context. But what we don't need is all of the emotional stuff which is very, very hard for parties to winnow that out. Mm -hmm. Understandably, right? I mean, for them, it's all tangled up together. Um, so if they can have some assistance from somebody, even just you know, state the facts, ma'am, right? I think is some line from some movie. Um, we need the facts, first of all, and um, as little emotional stuff as, as possible would be perfect, but an impossible standard, I think. Right. So we need all that background. And then we uh, we need to know about your kids, right? If we're making decisions about your kids, we want to know about your kids, right? Is, is one of them a gamer, right? Is, is one of them really involved in extracurricular activities and, and out, you know, five nights a week doing that kind of stuff? Is one of them, um, you know anxious and not wanting, not great at changes in their environment. All of those things we need to know because you're asking us to make decisions about these little people mm. that we don't know. Right. And so um, it takes time to work through and, and, and acknowledge some of the emotion I'm guessing in court. It takes time to sort of help people be calm enough to get you the information that you need. Mm -hmm. And so if they come in kind of having an idea about, okay, these are the facts that the court needs to know. This is how I'm going to tell them about my child and what their specific needs are. So there's an opportunity to prepare to, to some degree. And yeah. then you'll ask them very specific questions if you need to. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Janine. It's important that people do that homework, though, and, and recognize that in a hearing, they're going to be really nervous. Um, they're going to be afraid and uh, they're going to forget things. I mean, it's just that's natural, I'm sure. So if they can take the time beforehand to to write things down, uh, make sure that they're telling me what I, they want me to know about themselves and their children so to help me make those decisions. Um, because it would be awful to walk away from court going, oh, I should have told her X or, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell her that... Um, you know, about an allergy or something or something. And, and because you don't get to come back, you, you've sort mm -hmm. of got one chance at this um, to get in a hearing, to get that information right. You don't get to phone the court the next day and say, oh, can you tell Judge Benz this? Because I forgot to tell her that. No, that that's not going to happen. So write it down and prepare. And so can people bring notes into court? Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And look at them. Absolutely. Yeah. When you've seen things go very well, when you've seen families come in or parents come in and they've left with um, an outcome that they're happy with or, you know, that is, is not so bad, um, what is the mindset of those litigants or those folks that come in where you think they have the best outcomes? They're trying to, they can put their kids first, right? So that they can put their anger at the other party to the side 
and and focus really on their kids. And sometimes it's just time, right? Sometimes right after a breakup, it's too soon to be to be even expecting people to be cooperative or collaborative or empathetic. It, sometimes it's just not possible. And then we're doing an interim order. We're doing an early order to put sort of a Band-Aid on it and try and give parties some time to get their feet under them, let the dust settle, um, let the new reality set in about what their family is going to look like in different households. And then give them an opportunity to problem solve together before they have to come back and say, oh, this interim order is not working or it is working um, and do a final order. Um, you know, people need some time sometimes. And so the difference between an early hearing where they're so emotional mm -hmm. and, you know, six months down the road where they, they've caught their breath and are able to reason with each other it's often night and day. Right. So if we can um, just make sure that people understand that an interim order may be imperfect. We, we know that often it is imperfect, that we're just trying to give everybody some space and maybe get their evidence together so that we hear both sides of it. Sometimes we're making interim orders, hearing only one side of the story. Mm -hmm. So we know it's imperfect, but there has to be something in place to protect kids and make sure that they're safe and their relationship with both parents is, is going to be okay. So that's what we're trying to do on an interim order uh, with very often very emotional people. I'm interested to know, so in my practice, what I often see is that parents sometimes have a hard time separating their own needs from the needs of their children. Yeah. And so if they feel like, well, this needs to happen, then you kind of say, okay, well, you know, what part of that is your need and what part of that is your child's need? And I think when you talk about giving time, that to me, that gives them opportunity to sort of see that there are adults are allowed to have their own needs and it's difficult for adults. But kids oftentimes have a different set of needs and they have a different experience of, say, the other parent or uh, the circumstances. They see things a bit differently. So when you talk about that extra time, it really does sort of um, make me think about those sort of circumstances where if given time, they can sort of see things with a little bit more discernment. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's the opportunity for a therapeutic intervention, right? So that people, if they're struggling with that, um, you don't talk to your lawyer, don't talk to your, um, you know, your support cast. You need to talk to somebody neutral. You need to talk to somebody who's uh, able to assist you with that. You know, your lawyer is not able to assist you with that emotional piece of this. And uh, a judge certainly isn't. And sometimes, you know, your best friend and, and, and the people who are there supporting you are not the best either, right? Because they are going to be very supportive and aff affirm your um, position or perspective when maybe there needs to be some pushback on that. So I would encourage people, uh, if they're feeling uh, overwhelmed or um, 
Well, I mean, if, lots of people need therapeutic support through a separation and divorce. It's a really hard time. So, and there's lots of resources available in Alberta. So investigate those resources and it would never hurt um, to see a, a therapist or a counselor to put some ideas before them. So if I'm to ask you as we're kind of wrapping up here today uh, to say, you know, what advice might you give? Things maybe that we haven't talked about yet, but is there some advice that you might give to people who anticipate coming into court or anticipate coming back into court? Is there anything that you would sort of say, this is what I'd like them to know? Uh, I want people to to prepare, right? I'm, I'm sometimes worried how how cavalier people are about it and how they'll come into court expecting that the judge is going to just fix this. And we can't, we can't do that. Of course, we, we don't, we can't do that. I mean, we're just trying to put some order in place for a family, but we can't fix um, everything and we can't help them through the legal process. We can help them with process, but our job is to be neutral. So uh, don't expect, don't come to court and expect the judge is going to do your case for you. We can't do it. So do your homework. You're going to, uh, you know, the, the Law Society of Alberta has a lawyer referral uh, process. Uh, so you can speak to them and maybe uh, they can assist you finding a lawyer that will do a consultation for a reduced price or, or no cost at all. Look into that. Look into... Um, other legal services uh, like the Calgary Legal Guidance Clinic that also is able to provide some advice. Read the legislation. If you're your own lawyer, you're going to have to be familiar with the law. Uh, so if, if, if you're bringing a matter for child support or, um, or parenting and you weren't married, you're under the Family Law Act. Have a look at that. The Divorce Act, if you were, were married, you're going to have to read it through. Uh, Google might be your friend if you're looking at resources around laws in Alberta. Make sure you're looking for resources that refer to that. that you know, don't come and tell me what the law in uh, Montana is. Come tell me about what the law in Alberta is. So you have to do all of that homework. Come watch court, right? Don't don't come to court for the first time when it's your hearing date, because you'll have no idea what the process is. And again, you're going to be nervous and scared. It's much easier to take in information and, and notice how things are done if you're not fretting about your own matter on that day. So come watch, see what goes on in a courtroom so that you're a little bit familiar with it, so that you're prepared for what it looks like. I'd like to say thank you so much. I don't know that you know most people have a chance to just hear from a judge if they're not in court or if they don't know someone professionally. So uh, I'm just so pleased that you were able to join us, Judge Benz. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so pleased to be with you. I, and um, happy to happy to talk about family law in Alberta. We need to do a better job of educating people. That was Provincial Court Judge Gay Benz, and this is Family Law Matters. It's not very often we hear from a judge about the work that they do. My conversation with Judge Benz illuminated some insights into her role, the levels of court, and some resources to help keep you from needing to attend court. She also gave us some tips about how to prepare for attending court, especially if parties are representing themselves. 
She suggests that preparing for the case can include preparing emotionally for the experience and that using a psychological service can be of great assistance in these very important hearings. Finding both legal and therapeutic resources are an important part of the court process. Over the years, I have heard people recall their family court experiences and many with great detail. These moments are often filled with stress and worry and how a single judge's decision has impacted their lives. It can be a concluding point to the past and a path given for the future of a family. As people have been separating during the pandemic, they are seeking a more authentic life, some of them by choice and some as a response to their partner's decision. Many spouses can reconcile the end of the marriage, but not the loss of full-time parenting. It can feel like one blow after another. I have heard many people talk aloud about the decision to stay or go and the risks to not being with their children as they always expected. It's in these instances that people end up in court without a solution and forced to rely on a judge. Knowing Judge Ben so well, I feel like you'd be in good hands. Judge Ben's referred to a new resource for self-represented litigants. If you are interested, you can Google Canadian Judicial Council Self-Represented Litigants Family Law Handbook. That's it for this edition of Family Law Matters. I'm Janine Crofton. Thanks for listening. Connect with us by emailing familylawmatters at info at resolvology.com. Ask us your questions about family law issues and look for our blog articles to address your pressing questions. Check out the other work we do at resolvology.com. You can follow us on Twitter at resolvology underscore YYC.